That is a scene from the movie Hoosiers. It's about a small town Indiana high school team that goes on to play in the state champions. I've been to the gym that was used as their home gym in the movie. It's in Knightstown, Indiana. Uh, and it is a small gym. It's smaller than our gym. Not quite as small as the old gym here at our school, but it is very small. And as the boys arrive at the gym where they will be playing for the championship, they are overwhelmed. There are more seats in the stands than there are people in their hometown of Hickory. But when the coach has them measure the distance to the free throw line, the, the height of the rim, it's exactly the same as their gym at home. And of course, as soon as the boys are out of earshot, you hear him whisper, it is big. There's a danger that comes with comparison. There's a danger that comes with measuring ourselves against others. And the danger is we don't always measure the things that count. We don't always measure things that are important. We make comparisons based on things that are temporary, or we make comparisons based on just the things that we can see. And if our eyes are not fixed on what's important, if our eyes are only fixed on the things that we can see and not that which is unseen, we're going to find ourselves lacking, we're going to find ourselves weak, and we're going to find ourselves small. And whatever the problem, whatever the challenge is in front of us, we're going to look at it and we're going to say, it is big. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. I want you to notice that last word, schemes, it's plural. There's more than one scheme. Satan has several. And last week we looked at unforgiveness. If If Satan can keep us from forgiving, he can mutilate the image of God within us, within our hearts. But there are other schemes. And one of Satan's favorite schemes is to keep us thinking small. If he can keep us comparing ourselves to others, measuring things that don't matter, he can keep us feeling small and insignificant. And if he can do that, he can keep us from truly being the church God has called us to be, from doing the things that God has called us to do. If you grew up here in Kansas like I did, if you grew up in a small town nearby, you know that small town mentality. We're a, we're a small town. We have a small school. And you grow up and and you live with that fear that what if they take our school away from us? What if our school disappears? If the school disappears, the town disappears. And then we carry that mentality over and we start to say things like, "We're we're a small church. And we keep comparing ourselves to others. We're just a small church, right? Are we, a, are we a small church? Are we comparing, when we say that, when we, when we say we're a small church, what, what exactly are we measuring? Are we measuring people? Or are we measuring how much faith we have? When we say we're a small church, are we comparing the size of our Jesus to the size of the Jesus that, that other churches have? And ultimately, what does that kind of comparison do for us when we compare ourselves with other churches does that empower us does that make us feel uh, large and and significant does it call us to to imagine the possibilities of what god could do through us does it give us a vision to be the church that god has called us to be but we are not ignorant of his schemes 
right? Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows how to attack us. And, and we need to protect those areas where we feel weak. We need to protect those areas. We, we need to defend ourselves. Another passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we have that wonderful passage about the armor of God, you know, and I, I love that passage. I love looking at that. But in Ephesians 6 verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Don't be ignorant of his schemes and know how to take your stand against them. And one of Satan's favorite schemes is to attack your faith with fear. Fear is a, is a horrible thing for a person to live with. Fear is paralyzing. Fear is crippling. Fear keeps you from growing. It keeps you from maturing. It keeps you from doing what God has called you to do. And as horrible as fear is for us as individuals, fear is awful. It's disastrous for a church. And yet too often, if we were to be honest, we would admit we are motivated by fear more than faith. The things that we do, the things that we don't do, are motiva motivated by fear. Fear of failure. What happens if it doesn't work? Uh, fear of, uh, uh, well, fear of making someone mad. You know, if we do that, we're going to tick someone off. <laughs> fear of, fear born out of everything that we think that we're not. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 today, and it's a story you're familiar with. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. It's on page 820 in those Bibles in front of you. And it's a story that's familiar to, to most of you. It's the story of Peter walking on the water. And normally when we read this story, we just skip to the end because that's where the good part is. Peter steps out onto the water and then he starts to sink and Jesus grabs his hand and says, oh, you a little faith. And, you know, we, we eat cookies and drink Kool-Aid and go home. You know, we call her the picture and we're done. But, but there's so much going on at the beginning of this story and we really need to get a handle of what comes first. Before we get out of the boat, before we do that which is impossible, and before we, before we sink, what comes first? Verse 22 says immediately. Pay attention to that word. It pops up several times in this story. Immediately, he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The enemy of faith is fear. Before Jesus says come, before Peter steps out onto the water, he is afraid. They are all afraid. Now I want you to notice there's a mixture here. There's a mixture of two kinds of fear. First of all, there is rational fear. They're in a little fishing boat in the middle of the big sea, and there is a big storm coming against them. And those storms were dangerous. As fishermen, they knew the danger. You know, a few years ago, we found a, or we found, archaeologists found a boat from the time of Jesus there in the bottom of the, of the Sea of Galilee. We're still finding boats that were beaten in storms and sunk in those storms. That's a real fear. It's a, it's a very rational fear. But I want you to notice there's also an irrational fear. 
They see Jesus walking on the water, and their response is, it's a ghost! It's like we've suddenly entered into Scooby-Doo here, you know? It's, it's a ghost, we, we don't know what's going on. So there's, there's rational fear, there is irrational fear, but you know, in the middle of it, it doesn't matter. Rational or irrational, in that moment when you're afraid, you're paralyzed and you will do nothing. And you've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. Moments when we are paralyzed with fear. Times when the challenge in front of us looks huge. Uh, the challenge of a diagnosis comes or, or the challenge of financial trouble. And you've gone in, in those times, you've gone from rational fear to irrational places in your mind. I've seen that in the lives of individuals. But I've also seen it in the lives of churches. What do we do when the challenge in front of us seems so big and we feel so small. Verse 27, but immediately, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Did you notice the word immediately? As soon as they cried out in fear, Jesus responded. And he says, take heart, do not be afraid, it is I. Sandwiched, between those two statements is the very presence of Jesus. It is I. I am here in the midst of your fears. I've never left you alone. And you and I need to hear that because when the storms in our own lives get, get, get big, you, we need to hear that. When the storms raging against the church looks big, we need to hear that. Jesus says, I am here. Now that's wonderful to know. But you know, that's, that's not what makes the story so memorable. That's not why we tell this story over and over again. And the fact that Jesus is with us, that's wonderful to know. But like Peter, we need to step out of the boat. And we need to allow faith instead of fear to guide our steps. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the schemes of the devil. And then if you were in Ephesians chapter 6, you don't need to look at it right now, but verses 14 through 17, we have those elements, those parts of the armor of God. We, we, we have the helmet of salvation, we got the breastplate of righteousness, we got the shoes of, of peace, we've got the, the, the belt of truth, and, and Paul tells us what all those parts are and what all of those parts do. And then he says in verse 16, he says, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now I'm going to give you a quick review because I, I think you were paying attention and I want to hear you here. You've got you to respond when I give you the review, but I want to review that verse. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Let me ask you this. Are there any circumstances in your life where you don't need faith? No. There's no circumstance in your life where you are so equipped that you can handle it on your own. There's no circumstance in your, in your life where you can see it so clearly that you say, don't worry, God, I've got this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let me ask you this. Are there any attacks from Satan that cannot be defeated with faith? No, no. Well, you didn't quite sound as sure about that. Is there any attack of Satan that cannot be defeated by faith? No, that's right. No, no. All the flaming darts 
of the evil one. But we're just a small church. And we're, we're just a small town. What, what can we do in a small church in a small town? That scene I showed you from Hoosiers of them walking into the gym and being overwhelmed by the size, it, it reminds me of a picture that I have with a, some of my favorite people in this picture. That's, that's myself, and that's Hannah, and James, and who's that? Is that Grace? Yeah, that's Grace. That's the four of us standing on the stage at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, Southeast Christian Church is a little bit bigger than our church. If you can see by the seating, and then that's just the first balcony. There are two more above that. Southeast Christian Church seats 9,000 people. And they fill that church through multiple services every Sunday. And every Sunday, today, and, and well, they start on Saturday nights. they got to get them all packed in there. 24,000 people will show up for church at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend, and that's the four of us yahoos from Kansas, Illinois, standing on the stage there. Let me ask you this. Is the Jesus at Southeast Christian Church any bigger than the Jesus at Kansas Christian Church? No. Are the souls in Louisville, Kentucky more valuable to Jesus than the souls in Kansas, Illinois? Well, don't ask the people from Louisville, Kentucky that, because you'll get a different answer. But the answer is no, they're not. They're not any more valuable. So what's, what's the difference? It, it's just people. We have the same Jesus. We, we have the, the same value to God that, that they have. The, the only difference is what you can see. The only difference is people. Peter had been with Jesus just as long as those other guys in the boat. Peter had heard just as many of Jesus' teachings as those other guys. Peter had seen just as many miracles. And yet he was the only one who was willing to step out onto the water. What made the difference? Did Peter know something that the rest of them didn't? Nothing. There was no difference. But in verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, if it's the one that I have trusted up to this point, if it is the one who has been there with every challenge I've had until now, and if it is the one who has never let me down, then you call me out onto the water because I'll do that with you. Take me someplace I've never been before. Do something new with me. Do something new with our church. Verse 29, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I don't think the steps of faith that we take, I don't think they're about risk. I don't think they're about how much we're willing to risk. I think they're about how much we trust Jesus. I think they're about trust. I think they're about taking our eyes off of our size and off of the size of the challenge and focusing on the one who has proven himself to us over and over again, focusing on Jesus. But Satan wants us to think, I can't do this. We can't do this. We're not strong enough. We're not big enough. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough resources. And Jesus stands there with his hand out in the midst of the challenge. We need to be willing to say, Jesus, if, if this is where you stand, this is where we will stand also. And what's incredible about that is if we take that step 
with Jesus, the impact of our faith can reach far beyond ourselves, far beyond our church, far beyond Kansas. Some of you like statistics, so let me give you a few statistics. 85% of churches in America, 85% of all the churches that are having worship today, all the churches in America are 200 people or less. 85% of all churches are 200 people or less. Now, out of those churches, churches with an attendance of around 100, about where we are, are bigger than, eight, than 60% of their peers. So churches running our size are bigger than the other 85% of churches of this size. Are we, a, are we a small church? Sounds like we're average. Sounds like maybe we're even a little better than average. We're, we're a little bit on the big size. But whatever size we are, we have just as much Jesus as any other church. We have just as much, uh, we're just as saved as anyone else. And we have just as much potential to make an impact on the kingdom and maybe even a little bit more. We always look down on Peter in that story. You know, we always look down on him. Well, Peter failed again. Really stuck his foot in it this time, you know. He walked on water. I mean, it's one thing to do that now. You can kind of do that in this kind of weather, but, but, but he walked on water. He did the impossible. And he didn't do it perfectly, but, but at least he did it. Verse 30 says, But when he, that is when, Jesus, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and said, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter starts to sink. Peter failed again. But I'll tell you what else Peter did. When he saw that he was starting to fail, when he saw that he couldn't do this on his own, he put his eyes on Jesus. He didn't put his eyes on what he couldn't do, on what he couldn't afford, on what he couldn't be. He put his eyes on Jesus. And he let Jesus take hold of him, and he did the impossible. What can a church of our size do? How can... How can a hundred people who are committed to Jesus Christ make a difference in this world? How can we take a step of faith? You know, we're currently working with, a, with I think it's a very exciting ministry, an exciting mission in Ghana, West Africa. You saw a little bit about it in your bulletin on, on the back page. You, that bulletin board in the back, there's, there's some information about the ministry in Ghana that we're supporting. And, and I'm excited about what they're doing in Ghana. Did you know that it costs $5,000 to plant a new church in Ghana? Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, and I don't have the exact figures, but it was uh, quite a bit more than $5,000 to build this church. But $5,000 will plant a new church in Ghana, West Africa. Now, I'm not saying we're doing this, but I'll just tell you, I know you guys. I know how you give. I know how you love. And I know what you're capable of. And I know by the end of this year, we could have a church planted in Ghana, West Africa, fully funded by this church. I'm not going to lie to you. I know we could do two. If we put our hearts to it, if we put our minds to it, we could have two churches planted in Ghana, West Africa by this church. 
Did you know that one out of five new church plants in the world are planted by churches of 100 or less? One out of five new churches are not planted by mega churches. They're planted by churches of our size. Okay, maybe $5,000 scares you a little bit. Did you know that it costs $1,500, $1,500 to drill a new well in Ghana? $1,500 and a whole community will have fresh water. I know you guys. I've seen what you've done before when someone asks for money for a mission. By the end of this service, we could have a new well in Ghana. There would be people with fresh water. Thank you, Kansas Christian Church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your trust in God. Thank you for the impact that you've made. Over and over again in our world, we see small churches making huge impacts on their own communities, on their worlds. Why? Because they don't look at the size of the attendance. They look at Jesus. They look at the size of His call on their lives. And He calls us out of our comfortable, our comfortable, predictable boats. And He calls us to do something incredible. Verses 32 and 33, those are the verses that blow me away. Forget about Peter walking on water. I've seen that my whole life. But it took a long time before I ever saw verses 32 and 33. Look at these verses. 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. Look at verse 33 again. Those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. You remember that these 11 guys did not get out of the boat, right? You remember that part of the story? There's the ones that didn't get out of the boat. They're the ones that were too afraid to get out of the boat. But after Peter steps out, after Peter comes back in, what do they do? They worship Jesus and they confess Jesus. They say, you are the Son of God. You are everything that you told us that you were. How many people that we know, how many people in the storms of their own lives will confess Jesus? How many people do we know in the middle of their fear, will we'll worship Him because you and I took a step of faith. Because we did something that was bigger than ourselves. Because we kept our eyes on Jesus and not our size. You know, maybe you're not convinced. And that's okay. I mean, I, I, I could preach it all over again and maybe you'd get convinced or maybe not. I don't know. but Maybe you're not convinced yet, but Given Satan's schemes, I think we need to be honest. And the next time you're tempted to say, we're just a little church, would you do me a favor? The next time you're tempted to say, we're just a little church, do me a favor and say what you're really feeling. Because what you're really feeling is, we just have a little Jesus. We only have a little Savior. We, we only have a little faith. Or maybe better yet, what you could do is we could all put our eyes on Jesus, not the storm, not the challenge in front of us, not our size. We could put our eyes on Jesus and see what He can do through us because we worship Him, because we trust Him. There are people right here in our community, and they are afraid. 
They've got storms in their lives that you and I know nothing about. We cannot begin to understand their storms. And we have a Savior who simply says, take my hand. Just, just take my hand and take your eyes off the storm and let me show you what we're capable of doing together. Let's show them that. Let's show them Jesus. Can you stand and pray with me? Father, we, we do not want to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. But we also don't want to take our eyes off of Jesus. And so we ask that you give us vision to see Jesus clearly and to see where he's calling us. And when he calls us out of our comfort and our safety and, and into greater faithfulness, give us the faith to take his hand and answer his call. And Father, there are people in our lives and, and in our community, and they have huge storms rolling over them. They are afraid. By our faithfulness, let us turn their fear of the storm into worship for your son. Let us show them just how good Jesus is. It's not about our size. It's about his goodness. It's about his greatness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.